Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, fantasy, and a lot of other stuff. And we've had a busy week, but we begin with some sad news and an acknowledgement for the death of actor Michael K. Williams, the noted actor best known for his role as Omar Little in the iconic HBO series The Wire was found dead Monday in his apartment in Brooklyn, New York. He was 54. Williams received five Emmy nominations in his career. His most recent was for his role as Montrose Freeman on another HBO series, Lovecraft Country. He received this year's nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Dramatic Series. The awards announcement scheduled for next week. As far as the role he's most famous for, there was just something about hearing Farmer in the Dell and having that feeling that was less as a childhood nursery rhyme and more as for whom the bell tolls. There isn't much more I can add to the respects, appreciation, and tributes that have been put forth by many sources since the news broke Monday. Now, if you want to read an excellent opinion that basically mirrors my own on what Williams meant to LGBTQ culture and meant to the craft of acting, not just in his role in The Wire, but his entire body of work, the excellent writer for the Los Angeles Times, L.Z. Granderson, broke it down in a column that ran Tuesday. The link to this column will be provided on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Give it a read. It's more than worth it. His most recent role especially spoke, spoke to me. In Lovecraft Country, he plays a tortured soul making a peace with his own past and also finding his own truth. It's something that Williams did with many characters in his acting career. In being black, trans, and queer, to see pieces of me represented in the very nuanced, very complicated, and very beautiful way that Williams did, be it Montrose Freeman now, or Omar Little then, at a time when many such characters were not represented. It was vital for myself and for many others. Michael K. Williams, rest in power, sir, and thank you. Looking at some breaking news within the sports world, a change in the sports world on Tuesday, the National Women's Hockey League announced their rebranding. They're now known as the Premier Hockey Foundation as they entered the upcoming season. And... According to the league's commissioner, Ty Tuminia, quote, the league has come a long way since its inception in 2015. We believe that this is the right time and the right message as we strengthen our commitment to growing the game and inspiring youth. Now, a number of players said this moment was a moment whose time has come. Now, granted, this isn't exactly new. Don't forget in the 1990s, there was a women's basketball league known as the American Basketball League. You probably remember it, at least vaguely. They probably had the, sing the best single team in the history of the women's pro game, but don't tell the Houston Comets that. In 2002, 
women's pro softball became National Pro Fast Pitch. Now, the Premier Hockey Federation, that's now known, said it redefined the league's brand based on the skill and talent of its athletes as opposed to their gender. Also consider that the league in July signed on to a partnership with Athlete Ally and Chris Mosier in an effort to build more inclusion within the sport and within the league. In a press release then, it was said, quote, the NWHL, as it was then known, is built on its commitment to its athletes, staff, fans, and community to be a safe and inclusive environment. Now, one thing, this league has had at least one trans player in its history, former player Harrison Brown, retired two years ago. Now, that's not to say that such inclusion is the full rationale behind this decision and this rebranding, but from all appearances, it definitely played a hand in it. To quote noted journalist Brittany De La Creta, we can still point out the fact that the non-gendered name is a net positive. And I agree with them. It's a start. And I'm interested to see where this start leads in regards to how the Federation publicizes its league, how the sport is covered, and what impacts it will have on the larger issues of inclusion. Now, something that was inclusive was the Olympics and the Paralympics. And the Paralympics ended this past Sunday. But if you need more appetite for some Olympic and Paralympic sports, the 2022 Winter Games in Beijing are just five months away. Now, the final count, 36 out athletes. 19 of them took home medals, and 25 medals were won by Team LGBTQ. Now, some of the people who joined in this last weekend, which was the team sports weekend, a lot of the team sports in the final weekends of an Olympics or a Paralympics have those important gold and bronze medal games. Congratulations, Monique Matthews of the United States. Standout player on the city volleyball team had 14 kills in their gold medal victory against China. And in wheelchair basketball, Netherlands combo guard and defensive ace, Bo Cromer had 15 points in their gold medal game as the Dutch defeated China 50-31. Also, USA wheelchair basketball standouts Courtney Ryan and Caitlin Eaton. Congratulations as members of Team LGBTQ. They were instrumental in Team USA's victory over Germany in the bronze medal game. Now, those who won some multiple hardware. Lee Pearson of Great Britain led the way. Three gold medals in paradressage. He has 14 for the career. That's third all-time among British Paralympians, and that list got a new all-time leader at the Tokyo Games. Ireland's Katie George Dunleavy, two golds and a silver in cycling, including dominating the women's B-road event that were held at Fuji International Speedway. Video gamers, you know what that is. And Katie George Dunleavy took pole position in both the time trial and the road race and added a silver in the 3,000-meter pursuit the previous week. Crystal Lane Wright of Great Britain, three silver medals. Now, 
that's an excellent, excellent body of work. But she'll also be a trivia question. When Dame Sarah Story became the all-time winningest British Paralympian who finished second to her in all three events at Tokyo in 2021. Now, among Team USA's members of Team LGBTQ, they're going home with four total medals, gold, two silvers, and a bronze. And non-binary athletes made history at these games. The first non-binary athletes won medals, two of them, both in the same sport, both from the same country. Both of them are Australian track athletes. Robin Lambeard taking home that bronze in the women's 100-meter T34 classification. And Ma Strong took home a bronze in the seated shot put. Congratulations to both. History has been made. In the final medal count, Team LGBTQ finished 15th in the official medal count. Because of their 10 gold medals, they finished ahead of Spain, Poland, and Hungary. Now, in total medals, their 25 tied Poland for 14th. But using the Carly Paralympic Index, Team LGBTQ finished 15th on 159 points. So overall, not bad for the 29th largest delegation at the game. Now turning to a shout-out, a boo, and a milestone. First, a shout-out to four-time Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel. He was reprimanded for a silent protest before the start of the Formula One Grand Prix of Hungary last month. Vettel wore, ra wore a rainbow-colored warm-up shirt that said, Same Love, and knelt on the grid in protest of the myriad anti-LGBTQ laws championed by the archaic Viktor Orban regime in that country. He said on a BBC podcast two days ago, quote, I wasn't nervous or embarrassed by the rainbow colors or what people would think. I wanted to send a message and I was proud to do it. I grew up in sports and had a lot of discussions with experts and media and you hear the statement sports shouldn't be a part of politics. But are we talking about politics? We're talking about human rights? I don't think so. Sebastian Vettel, big ups to you and a memo to Formula One. F1 did the right thing before. In protest of apartheid in South Africa, they pulled the South African Grand Prix. Orban in Hungary is doing very similar things and wants to push further. This Formula One fan wouldn't be too upset if we're not at Angaro Ring next year. And oh, while you're at it, remember, you do hold a race in the American state of Texas. Oh, and speaking of Texas, boo, Governor Greg Abbott. Black and brown voter suppression bill, check. Abortion ban, now check. Now Abbott says, let's have another session set scheduled to start September 20th to try and ran through yet another anti-trans bill. In the words of the late, great Monica Roberts, shut up, fool. And a milestone. This episode you're hearing right now is the 100th episode of the Transporter Room. 
Since former Outsports Managing Editor Don Ennis and I started this ride in the fall of 2019, we've seen a lot in building 100 episodes. Now, in celebration, I'm going to post some of my personal favorites and some of our earliest on our Twitter page and our Facebook page. An interesting thing is who we've had. In fact, here's a list of our first 10 guests. Roller Derby standout Jessica Farron, collegiate champion trailblazer CeCe Telfer, power lifter and just general courageous badass J.C. Cooper, former college volleyball player and LARPer extraordinary Chloe Psyche Anderson was our fourth guest. Monica Roberts was our fifth guest. Our sixth guest was three-time World Roller Derby Champion Juniper Simonis. Coming up seventh was British Endurance ace Charlie Martin, who is in the middle of a pitch battle for a Brick Car Praga Series Championship this year. Icon and friend of the show Chris Mosier was our eighth guest. Icon, legend, standout, and also all-out badass Fallen Fox was our ninth guest. And Outsports founder Sid Ziegler was our 10th. We've had influencers from scientist and researcher Joanna Harper to trail to sports journalist and trailblazer Christina Carl. We've had influencers like Melody Maya Monet. We've had those who towed a starting line and took their shot, like Megan Youngren did last year. And those who courageously said, I'm willing to stand up, like Lindsay Haycuss. And one of my personal favorites, who I'm definitely posting, the hero of the Titan Games, Mitch Harrison. And you're hearing that noise, which means it's time to give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, another one of those favorites of the first hundred shows. And this week, she finally gets to make history. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And back on July 28th, we had MMA fighter Alana McLaughlin on the podcast. She was slated to make her debut on the Combate Global card in August against Francis Céline Provost. But Provost tested positive for COVID-19. So things were delayed until now. The fight is on and scheduled for September 10th. The card will be streamed via Paramount+. Plus. This is also a piece of sporting history. The last time there was a transgender competitor in an MMA bout was in 2014. The fighter was the legendary Fallen Fox. She won that night. In the breach steps Alana McLaughlin. And she's worn a lot of hats in her life. She's an artist turned blacksmith. And she was a special forces soldier who served in Afghanistan. This week, as an athlete, she'll seek to carry a mantle forward 
and make a statement in the midst of what's been a difficult season for transgender Americans, even as we've had an inclusive summer in sport. This week, our 100th episode of The Transporter Room features encore excerpts from this interview and a rendezvous with history. What can you tell me about the person that you're going to be going up against? Well, my opponent's name is Celine Provost. She's from France. Um, and that's really about all I know about her. Uh, look, looking her up on uh, Tapology and all, it's uh, she hasn't fought since 2017. So by now she could be an entirely different fighter than, uh, than she was then. But um, I've seen two of her fights on YouTube. Um, and I've seen just like the smallest amount of training footage. I can't even get a hundred percent certain, like what her height is. She's listed as five foot seven in one place, but I'm five, seven and looking at her, she looks taller. I think, uh, she's probably closer to six feet or so, but, um, yeah, it's been hard to find much information on her. Well, give me real quick. What's the book on you? If, like, for example, if I was going up against you, God forbid, what would be the book? What would I have to? What would I have to look out for? Okay, uh, if you were fighting me, you would need to know that I'm a forward pressure fighter. I really like to strike, but since I'm, you know, kind of short in my reach, I uh, tend to try to push you up against the cage and punish you there. We're just going to get right to the question: Why? Why now? Why at age 38? Why take this step? So there are a few reasons. Um, the uh, on, on a personal note, like a selfish note, um, I've always been like a little bit competitive, you know, um, and I got to run a couple years of cross country in college, um, but I never got to finish that out. Um, I ended up transferring and the school that I went to initially wouldn't release me, so I didn't get to finish out my college years running. Uh, so I still got that competitive drive. Um, and yeah, I'm 38, so it kind of feels like if I'm going to do anything seriously competitive athletically, like now's the time. Um, so even though I don't have any amateur fights or anything, like this is why I'm like straight to straight to pro. I don't have time. I don't have time. Every fighter's got an expiration date and I want to do it while I still can. Uh, so that, that's, that's the, uh, the selfish personal side. The uh, other side of it is that, you know, as everyone knows, um, trans folks and athletics has been a hot button issue for some time. And really I want to take up the mantle that Fallon uh, put down. You know, she, she and I have uh, been in contact for a while and um, she's, she's kind of mentoring me through this. And uh, I just, I, I feel like if we want to see more trans athletes, if we want more opportunities for trans kids, um, we're going to have to make our way into those spaces and make it happen. You know, like for, for trans athletes to be able to compete, to fight back against all this legislation, it needs to be more normalized. Um, we need to get athletes in there and show cis people that like 
we're, we're, we're still human. We're just like everybody else in terms of like athletic performance. I'm not going to go in there, my debut fight and be a complete world beater, you know, like look at Fallon's record. Like she gets misrepresented so much. Uh, they act like she just went through and destroyed everyone. Like there are losses on her record, you know, like, come on. Um, so, so I feel like it's, it's time. You know, it's time for trans folks to be in sports and to be more normalized. And, you know, it's, it's past time. Now, what, what are some things that Fallen told you? Uh, In, in regards to what to expect, what, uh, how, how to deal with it, what to get ready for, what were some of the things that Fallen Fox, like, passed on to you and said, kid, this is what you're, this is what you're getting into. This is what you need to know. Uh, one of the biggest ones was to be prepared for a hostile crowd, um, which luckily for me, I'm not going to have to deal with yet because, uh, you know, the pandemic is still raging. COVID is still a thing. And Combate is, uh, they've, they've been very taking it very seriously and during during the COVID nineteen pandemic, they've started holding their uh, holding their fights in a purpose built studio with no live audience. So uh, I won't have to worry so much about a hostile crowd until after the fight when I'm reading and and seeing you know all the comments. You know, you know, never to look at the comments section, but. But yeah, so uh, I actually that that was the that was a big piece of advice from Fallon was to um, to be as prepared as possible for hostile crowds. And I mean, any any one of her fights, if you go back and like look up, look at video of them on YouTube or wherever you can find them, uh, you can hear some really, really nasty things being yelled. Um, Yeah. So. That that that's uh, that's a big one. Um, yeah, it's, it's mostly, we've, we've been pretty focused on just the actual fight preparation for the most part. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I'm going to have it easier than Fallon did. Like, let, let's just be hundred percent honest about that. Like it's, it's hard to know exactly how things will shake out because, you know, um, when Fallon was still fighting, it was before the Trump administration and people do seem to have become more polarized and and uh, trans lives have definitely been um, more politicized since then. You've probably heard about all the different things that have been going on in regards to all this, all this anti-trans legislation that it just seems like every day there's a new bill. What's your thoughts on what's going down? How do you hope to put yourself kind of in the conversation or in the fight, as it were, on this issue? Well, I think that's going to be a pretty easy part. Just showing up is enough to to put me in that conversation and in that fight. Um, I mean, much like it was with Fallon, I fully anticipate as soon as this stuff hits the news, uh, I'll be the new boogeyman for Fox. Um, Fox News, all the right-wing pundits, you know they won't be able to keep my name out of their mouth as soon as this happens. Um I mean, I, I, I'm tailor-made to be scary to them. You know, former special forces trans woman beating up real women in the cave. You know, it, it's, it, it, yeah, they're going to run with it. 
I know they're going to run with it. I I am for yourself. Is, is there a party? Is there a little bit of party you based on what you just said who's saying no, I don't know if I want this smoke. Maybe I need to back off. Is there is there a part of you that's thinking that? I mean, I, I'm sure there probably is some logical part of my brain that's going, yeah, you should think about self-preservation here. But um, for better or for worse, I have never been one to back down from a fight. Uh, so um, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of itching for it, you know. You've been in the ugliest, one of the ugliest crucibles that any human being can be, and that's war. And there's a quote that was in another news source about, the, about this, your decision to go into the army, where you said, like, being the savvy kid I was, I knew that approach would fail, and I shot back with a snide comment about getting myself killed in war would be a better alternative than, than conversion therapy. What was that experience for you going through what you saw and what you had to do in Afghanistan? How has that, in a sense, translated to what you're about to do now? Uh, well, in a lot of ways, it's, it's making this easier um, because... Just from from like a personal safety standpoint, like a lot of people, a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of getting into a cage with another human being and fighting it out. Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is with mixed martial arts, it's while it's a fight, it's still it's a sport. There's consent involved. Uh, everybody is coming in with. You know, every, everybody kind of knows where everybody stands. You know, you're, you're coming in at a set weight. You're coming in for a certain amount of time. There's a referee there. Uh, you know, it's there are rules. And when it comes to warfare, that that's uh, I mean, sure, there are, there are rules to warfare, but it's it's a very different rule set. And not everybody plays by the rules, you know, um, especially when it comes to well, I probably shouldn't talk too political, I guess. <laughs> no, you can get political here. Okay, it's, well, it's an open door. It's an open door here. When when we talk about uh, war, then uh, my experiences in Afghanistan definitely shifted my politics to the left. Like that, that was definitely. Uh, I feel like that's probably a pretty common experience for, or historically, it has been a common experience for a lot of veterans. Uh, seeing some of the things that some of the things that we do over there, you know, um, yeah, it's 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 hard to articulate without going into you know graphic detail. But I, I feel like all the the money and resources and lives spent over there and bloodshed. Did we really make anything better? Did, did we help anyone or did we make it worse? I mean, as far as I can tell, we made a generation of kids afraid of the sky because of drone strikes. Um, you know, no, nobody's doing better over there for anything that we did. Well, I, but that's one thing that's being talked about in sports as a whole right now is, is in a sense, should sports be used to make a statement? Because just by walking into that octagon next week, you're going to be making a statement. Yeah. I mean, you're going yeah. to be making a statement. 
what statement do you want to make walking in? Well, I, I want to preface it. Uh, first, the, the people that say that uh, sports should be kept apolitical, sports, sports have never been apolitical. It's, it's not possible, especially when people's identities are politicized. Uh, I mean, look at Colin Kaepernick, look at just, just historically, Muhammad Ali, you know, uh, black folks, their, their presence in sports has been politicized trans folks. Like we're being politicized. Like we don't, we don't get to not be political, just walking around as a trans woman every day, being alive is a political act in a country that's hostile to your very existence. Do you even think about that? Wait a minute. I'm doing all this. What? And millions of people are going to be watching. Am I out of my mind? Yeah, I, I definitely. I got the butterflies. I got the butterflies. Um, I mean, I've, I've had some amount of public attention before, like much lower level. Uh, you know, we, we talked earlier about like Tumblr. You know, but <laughs> again, that, that, like that, that's that this is going to be a much bigger, bigger uh, exposure. If you could go back and explain, go back, say, about 26 years to a younger you in growing up in South Carolina, how would you explain to that kid what you're about to do right now? Uh, you know, that is a good question. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, if I were to talk to that kid 26 years ago, I don't even know that it, that that younger version of me would be in a place to even engage with it. Like there was there was so much going on back then, uh, so much trauma. I really didn't think about much of anything outside of myself back then. Um, it was just a kind of a daily emotional struggle to survive. Um, I would hope that anything that a current version of me said to that, to that kid would, would sort of be a bright spot would be um, a beacon saying, you know, this, this is what can happen. One thing that you told me before we got this interview going was that, Hey, video gaming, you sci-fi, you fantasy, you, and I could tell you're definitely into the sword thing because, well, you made, you made a few of them. Yeah, I've made a few of them. You, you've made a few of them. What, what are, I know you've been busy in training, so you probably haven't been like too up on the things currently, but what are the things like sci-fi slash geek culture-wise that you're grooving to? Um, well, I'm, I'm probably, uh, probably once again aging myself here, but uh, I've been re-watching some Next Generation, Star, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, because, I mean, it's classic, and it's, it's what I grew up with, you know. Um, been re-watching some Star Trek. I, I, uh, I still haven't seen the last of the Star Wars movies, because like, I saw so many people so angry for so many reasons. Uh, I'm just, I'm not even sure if I'm prepared to wade into that. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like current, current, let's see, what, what, what's the most, 
Uh, like I said, I'm a little out of date. My hey, it's all it's okay. You can be hey, we can get we can go. My fast. most recent one was probably Dragon Age Inquisition. I got really excited. I, I liked uh Dragon Age Origins, it was great. I loved the game. And then when Inquisition came out and I heard that there was a trans character, even though it wasn't a main character, I was like representation of any kind at all you know like so so uh i i got dragon age inquisition specifically because i knew there was a trans character um and i've played through that i actually really love that game it's, it's uh not not specifically for the gameplay but for the story you know for me it's it's always it's it's the story um you know i was one of those kids that was into lord of the rings way before that was cool um, yeah. In fact, when being into Lord of the Rings would like get you beat up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can, I can have, I got thrown in a few lockers and dumped in a few trash oh, yeah. cans for like when I like, I get it. Oh, I understand that, but that word representation. Mm -hmm. What yeah. does that word mean to you in regards to what you're trying, what you're about to do? Well, um. I have a couple thoughts on that. One, it's really important. Representation is important. You know, uh, trans kids deserve more than Buffalo Bill as a representative of what being trans is. You know, like they, we, especially when we're younger, we need role models of some sort. You know, we need figures that we can imprint on. We need to be able to say, hey, this is, this is who I can be and it be a positive thing. Um, but by the same token, representation alone is not enough. Um, it's a step. It's a very small step. Um, and I, I fear that in our, in our current culture, we, we seem to, a lot of the time, once representation is achieved, oh, well, that's enough. You know, like, oh, well, you're on TV now. That's enough, right? You know, like. Uh, president Obama, oh, well, there's been a black president. That's enough. Right. And it's, it's very clearly not like we still have so far to go so much work to be done. Um, representation is a step, but it's definitely not the end all be all. Um, so if, if I can take this, this step right now, you know, like right now I'm following in the footsteps of Fallon, like once again, a black woman led the way. You know, Fallon took that first step. She was the first trans MMA fighter. Um, and now I'm following in her footsteps. I'm not the pioneer here. I'm, I'm not the tip of the spear. Um, I'm just another step along the way. And it, it's my great hope that there are more to follow behind me. It, I, I really hope that, um, that ultimately what I'm doing here ends up just a footnote because we've got so much farther to go. Again, the fight scheduled for Friday, September 10th. It will be streamed live via Paramount Plus. Alana, thank you for that interview and good luck and get that win. And to all of you, thank you for joining us on the Transporter Room and thank you for joining us throughout 100 episodes. It's because of you that we're going to keep running for another 100. Also, if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we're doing, please leave a post 
on our Twitter page or on our Facebook page. For 100 episodes now and beyond, everything I seek to do, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. I'll catch you next week.